The Adams Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to The Adams Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening. Today, on this podcast, we are going to be discussing the White House having found remnants of cocaine within the White House, and I wonder just who that could have been from. We will discuss the White House press secretary's response to that, as well as Donald Trump's response to that, and I only wonder who that could have came from. So we will discuss my theories. Then we will jump right into the federal judge ordering the Biden administration to stop their efforts to censor social media companies, which is a huge win. Huge win, understated, not being talked about, huge win for freedom of speech. We will discuss that. Then we will move into TikTok allowing Mexican drug cartels to post help wanted ads for human smugglers. After that, if you recall, there was a left-wing liberal influencer who had said some wild things, absolutely wild things during the affirmative action hearing, which the Supreme Court ruled on, which we have not talked about yet. So maybe we can discuss a little bit about the Supreme Court hearings that happened. But there was a influencer, Erica Marsh, allegedly, on Twitter, who had tweeted some pretty, I don't know, pretty racist stuff. (laughs) And so... So, but she was a liberal defending affirmative action. And so we will, apparently she does not exist. So we'll talk about that. After that, we are going to jump right into some conspiratorial stuff, which will be Pat Tillman's death. If you recall, Pat Tillman was a former NFL player who became a U.S. Army Ranger after 9-11, who mysteriously died with some pretty crazy things happening around his death that we will discuss as well, which kind of points to a cover-up by the U.S. military. And then, finally, last but not least, there was a woman on a airliner who said that she saw a reptile humanoid on an airplane and just ran off the airplane. And she didn't seem drunk when she was talking. She didn't seem like high. She didn't seem to be on any crazy substances in the way that she was speaking. She was just terrified. And uh, there were some weird reports about that. So we will look at that. And then a Reddit conspiracy thread around it maybe being a artificial intelligence humanoid. Hmm. All of that and more. So stick around with me. The later we get, the deeper we get. Stick around. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and subscribe. Leave a five-star review. I would appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I say it every single week. I would love to see it. Hit that five-star review. Write something nice. It just helps me get through the rankings, lets me know. You know, I'm not taking any money for this right now. There's no ads on here, nothing. The only currency that I ask from you is just leaving a five-star review at this point. All right. So again, hit that five-star review button, subscribe, head over to the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. And then head over to Instagram, the Austin J. Adams. Follow me there. And then follow me on a new social media platform called Threads, which just dropped today by Mark Zuckerberg at the and the Meta team, which is a Twitter rival. Very interesting. So you can find me there as well. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Let's jump into it.
the Adams Archive. All right, let's jump into it. The very first thing that we're going to discuss today was the White House security team. All right, the Secret Service seemingly found some sort of weird white substance, some powdery substance with some nose hairs in it inside of the White House. And we can only fathom what that would be, especially after the, you know, the the crazy response from the White House press secretary saying, we have no idea what happened here. We must get to the bottom of this. Who could have been this person in the White House snorting cocaine? We don't know anybody that's a part of this family, a part of the presidential family, a part of a part of anybody that would be in the White House that maybe has a cocaine addiction. <laughs> So this article says White House press secretary says Biden wants to get to the bottom of the cocaine found at the White House. I bet you do, Joe Biden. And here it goes, says during Wednesday's Wednesday's White House press conference, press secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said Biden thinks it's incredibly important to get to the bottom of how cocaine found its way to the White House over the weekend. I wonder if he's really curious about looking into, you know, how a seemingly you know, harmless laptop got dropped off at a laptop fixing place without his consent. It says, how determined is the president to get to the bottom of this? So here, here's the actual quote itself. Let's go ahead and listen then. And turning to some breaking news, we have just learned that a formal lab has confirmed the suspicion that that white powdery substance found in the West Wing on Sunday was in fact positive for cocaine. <gasps> the discovery led to a brief no evacuation way. of the White House Sunday night. <laughs> Joining us now is NBC White House correspondent Mike Memoli. So Mike, where do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing and I go back to the 70s at the White House. So this is pretty, pretty wild. It's absolutely extraordinary, Andrea. And this new conclusive test confirms what had been the preliminary field test conducted by D.C. fire personnel who were called in on Sunday night after the discovery of this suspicious substance by a uniformed officer in the Secret Service that was conducting a routine patrol of the White House. And so to recap on the developments from that we've been reporting on yesterday, this was found, we understand, in a highly trafficked common area of the West Wing. It's an area where individuals, especially visitors, individuals who may be coming for, for instance, a private tour, might have been asked to leave some of their personal belongings before heading into more sensitive areas of the West Wing, which of course includes the president's, the vice president's office, some of the most senior officials' offices, as well as the press. You know, it's a totally public area that you, you know, just so happen to go into that has absolutely nothing to do with Joe Biden's son, who seemingly has a cocaine and crack addiction. And here's here's the White House press secretary responding to this, stating how, how willing and, and eager they are to get to the bottom of who this could be. Uh, one more on cocaine. I wonder how many questions at the White House has started with this. One more question on Cocaine. <laughs> what matters, and it's under the. Listen to this. One more question on cocaine. One more on cocaine. How 
determined as the president to get to the bottom of who brought illegal drugs into the White House. Secret Service is getting to the bottom of it, and that's what matters, and it's under their purview. But it was, the question was how determined is the president? The president thinks it's very important to get to the bottom of this. That's why Secret Service, which is under their purview, is looking into this. And they're going to look into what happened this weekend. So the president as the Secret incredible. Service shows up, and it's a man who looks seemingly much like Hunter Biden, just with a mustache. <laughs> I have no idea how this happened, sir. Let me go ahead and clean that up for you. Man, what a mess. Could you imagine? I'm pretty sure they were on some sort of vacation when this happened. Could you imagine the conversation between Hunter Biden and his father when they found out that the day before they left for vacation, there was cocaine found in the White House? Could you imagine that conversation? Not that I would think Joe Biden would, you know, remember the fact that his son is a cocaine and crackhead, but... I guess meth, right? He just smokes a lot of meth. Was it meth or crack? I'm pretty sure it's methamphetamine, but I digress. I wonder how that conversation went. This goes, we when pressed further of how determined Biden was, we just listened to that. It says, a reporter asked the White House press secretary whether the White House would, be, would support the prosecution of whoever brought the cocaine into the building. And she says, Yeah, thank you. If the Secret Service determines who brought the cocaine into the White House. Does the White House support the prosecution of this individual? I'm just not going to get into hypotheticals from here. Let, let the Secret Service do their job. It's under their purview. We are confident that they'll get to the bottom of it. I'm just not going to get ahead of this right this time. And then the next question was, the president and the first lady, she says, and their family were absolutely not here this weekend. And secondly, part of the entry go to the holiday. Can you give any more details on where the Secret Service found cocaine in the West Wing and how it got So, as you know, this is under the preview of the Secret Service. They are currently investigating what happened over the weekend, so I would have to refer you to the Secret Service, the Secret Service on all of this. But one thing that I can share, that I'll, that I'll share a little bit more information, as you know, the, the, the President and the First Lady and their family were not here this weekend, as you all reported on this, and as you also know that they left on Friday and returned just yesterday. Where, where this was discovered is a heavily traveled area where many White House, West Wing, I should be even more specific, West Wing visitors come through this particular area. <laughs> And not only can you understand, can you imagine the conversation between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, but can you imagine the job of Jean, whatever Saint Pierre her name is? What is her name? Jean Pierre. Could you imagine what she has to to deal with when she comes in and gets a briefing on a daily basis about what she has to talk about and what's in her notes? And she sees that Hunter Biden very likely left cocaine in the White House. And now she, not Joe Biden, of course, who doesn't answer any questions, not, not Jill Biden, not Hunter Biden. She's the one who has to deal with the after effects of this. <laughs> so I would be, I would just imagine the look on her face when she realizes that she's the one who who has to answer for Hunter Biden's crack addiction. All right, let's jump into Trump's response to this and see what he has to say here. Here's the response, although this might be just the first uh, the first clip. And turn Yep, that's the first clip. So it says does anybody really believe that co the cocaine found in the west wing of the White House 
very close to the Oval Office is for the use of anyone other than Hunter and Joe Biden, Trump wrote. Here's here's the tweet or the truth that came from Truth Social. And it says, does anybody really believe that the cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House, very close to the Oval Office, is for the use of anyone other than Hunter and Joe Biden? But watch, the fake news media will soon start saying that the amount found was very small and it wasn't really cocaine, but rather common ground up aspirin. And the story will vanish. Has deranged Jack Smith, the crazy Trump hating special prosecutor, been seen in that area, in the area of the cocaine? He looks like a crackhead to me, says Trump. He goes on to say, where are the White House security tapes? Like the ones I openly and happily gave to, to deranged Jack Smith, which will quickly show where the cocaine in the White House came from. They already know the answer, but probably don't like it. Yeah, what? Do you know how many cameras are in the White House and you believe that we can't find out whose cocaine was sitting on the table in the Oval Office? Really? There's got to be more cameras in there than there is in a freaking Target in L.A., right? Like, it's crazy that they think we're so stupid that they don't have video evidence showing who is snorting cocaine off of the counter. It says, this is by Kelly O'Donnell. It says, the Secret Service said the investigation remains ongoing, that they have not yet determined the owner of the bag of cocaine. They are reviewing surveillance footage and entrance logs as a part of the investigation. It has not yet been revealed how long the bag of cocaine was in the West Wing. Hmm. It says, we have also reported that the Secret Service investigation will review security camera footage and entrance logs to try and figure out when the cocaine baggie was left and by whom. Hmm. It says, here is what I've already reported. Substance was confirmed as cocaine. Small baggie was found Sunday inside the common area at the West Wing entrance where staff slash visitors leave personal items like phones. President Biden was at Camp David with his son, Hunter Biden, when the cocaine was discovered and the White House evacuated. Hunter Biden, who was at the White House just two days prior to the discovery, has a long history of drug abuse, which has been revealed through his infamous abandoned laptop. The cocaine was initially identified as unknown item. Now, we probably don't even have to wait for this security footage to come out because you know if this was Hunter Biden, he's absolutely going to be standing there with a selfie snorting this cocaine with a some type of prostitute in the room with him. So it's only a matter of time, even if the Secret Service doesn't come out with this, that we know really for a fact who this was. Like, I'm pretty sure every single time ever, ever that Hunter Biden's done drugs, he photographs it with a prostitute. So it won't be too long. All right, now moving on. Let's go ahead and move on from that. It says that a federal judge ordered Biden's administration to stop efforts to censor social media companies. Now, this is a landmark decision by a federal judge. Now, this isn't a longstanding decision. This is was done as an initial decision awaiting the full trial of this decision, but this was the initial decision as a result. So here we go. This is from the Post Millennial. It says, on Tuesday, a federal judge ruled that the Biden administration likely violated the First Amendment and its contact with social media companies to censor content and criticism during the COVID pandemic. U.S. District Judge Terry Dowdy of Louisiana, in a 155-page ruling, blocked officials within the White House and multiple federal agencies from contacting social media companies with the intention of censoring political views and other speech protected under the First Amendment, according to the Wall 
Street Journal. The evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario, wrote Judge Dowdy. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to the Orwellian Ministry of Truth, which they, if you recall, actually tried to put together a Ministry of Truth. You remember that? Kind of went away, but they tried, right? They tried to actually put together a a entity within the government that would decide what was fact and what was not fact and push that out to the social media companies. It says the attorney general has alleged that the Biden administration was using a federal censorship enterprise and pressured social media platforms to remove posts questioning COVID-19 health policies, the origin of the pandemic, questions regarding the results of the 2020 election, the Hunter Biden laptop story, among other topics, which again, I was a part of that for eight months. My, my account was shadow banned on Instagram, eight months of the 16 months that it's been around. It was completely shadow banned for since the four months into it, where it grew like crazy and then shadow banned for eight full months where I couldn't get 2000 views on my videos with 35, 40,000 followers. And it was because I posted a video that came from InfoWars that broke down the Burisma deal that we are just figuring out they have 17 audio recordings of. But I posted that over a year ago, and I got shadow banned into oblivion by Instagram for that one singular post for over eight full months where I got zero traction on anything. And this isn't somebody complaining like, oh, they shadow banned me. No, like they, you could not search my name on Instagram could not search me, could not find me, all because I spoke the truth, which is coming out today in all of these hearings about Hunter Biden, Burisma, the recordings with Burisma, Joe Biden, the big guy, the, all of these federal indictments that are going on around us. But the CIA, the government, Joe Biden's administration actively reached out to social media companies, the FBI, as Mark Zuckerberg came out and said that they were actively shadow banning people and banning them outright. It says that if the allegations made by the plaintiffs are true, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history, the injunction adds, according to Fox News. In their attempts to suppress alleged disinformation, the federal government, and particularly the defendants named here, are alleged to have blatantly ignored the First Amendment's right to free speech. Dowdy also wrote that censorship in this case almost exclusively targeted conservative speech but added that the issues raised the case extended beyond party lines. Viewpoint discrimination is an especially egregious form of content discrimination, Dowdy wrote. The government must obtain from regulating, must abstain from regulating speech when the specific motivating ideology of the perspective of the speaker is in the rationale for the restriction. So in what have been, might have been the single largest win for freedom of speech today, to date, over the last, I don't know, decade, easily, is this federal judge. So thank you very much, Judge Dowdy, because, again, the, all speech happens on these platforms. When, when we talk about freedom of speech, we're not sitting in a circle singing kumbaya at some bar like we were back in 17, 1776. Freedom of speech today does not mean standing in front of somebody and speaking. It extends to the platforms where 95% of speech happens, which is on social media platforms. Constantly. That's where, that's where 
civil discourse happens today. That is the the watering hole. That is the bar that people meet at. That is the community. That is the groups. And when you censor people from speaking out on topics about the government, you are an authoritarian. That is authoritarianism. When you actively censor the opposing opinion, that type of shit is what starts revolutions. Not saying that that's what should happen. And I, I hope to God it doesn't have to. And, and, and if we keep winning this culture war, it won't have to because we are winning. We are absolutely winning. Target moved all of their tuck it pride stuff to the back of the store. Bud Light literally fired all of the executives that were a part of those decision makings with the Dylan Mulvaney situation. Now we have social media not allowing any input from the government due to this ruling. On top of that, Bud Light it closed down several of its manufacturing plants as a result of this. We are actively winning the culture war, which could not have been said about conservatism or the right in, I don't know, freaking ever. Conservatives have been losing the culture war. They lose it when it comes to music, when it comes to entertainment. It's all owned by liberals, even the news. And for the very first time that we've seen in my lifetime, in our generation, and probably the last 150 years, 100 years at least that I can speak to, we are winning the culture war. And we can't let up. And people are starting to realize that it's cool. It's cool to be to 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 not want to dye your hair purple and run around naked at a at a children's event. People think it's cool that you have conservative values and maybe you want to raise a family and maybe you want to raise a family right. Maybe you want to have multiple children on on a piece of land with chickens and self-sustaining lifestyles and homeschool your children because you don't want the, the government teaching them propaganda that's built into the education system that's bought and paid for by the very same companies who are shoving and peddling the, the, their own profit or their own products down your throat, which are poisoning you for profitability. For the very first time, people are waking up to this and people are realizing it. And at the same time, we are winning the culture war with our dollars. And you see these things come out about the CEI scores and you see these things come out about, you know, the, uh, what is it, CGI and like all all of these like woke ideologies that are being pushed into, shoved into the sphere of commercial corporatism through trying to make companies push these woke ideologies for investments from companies like BlackRock, right? That's why the CEI score was even uh, even became a thing. It was because they wanted to have these companies push the ideology and have incentive to do so despite lack of profitability from their decision making. Because if every time that Target pushes something to the back of the store, they lose money, they're going to stop pushing this ideology. Capitalists capitalism does not care about your feelings. It does not care about your political leanings. It does not care about, you know, what your sexual orientation is. It shouldn't. It doesn't. Profitability has no sexual orientation. Profitability has no political orientation. So when you realize that, and and we are a, a community, a group who can then put our dollars together and go, we are no longer going to take this. We are not going to allow you to shove sexual books down our children's throat at Barnes and Noble when I walk in the door. We are not going to allow you to put swimsuits on the rack in front of my children that shows a tucket area for boys acting like they're girls. We're not gonna handle, we're not gonna, we're not going to accept this. 
Right. And we're again, we're seeing that bleed over into the education system where homeschooling's up like an unbelievable percentage since since the COVID pandemic. Right. You see people starting to take ownership, take ownership of their parenting, take ownership of their their children, and realize that all of these organizations, from the pharmaceutical industries to the medical industries to the to the military industrial complexes, to the mil- educational industrial complex to all of these organizations, the, the food industries, all of it does not have your best interest in mind. It doesn't have your children's best interest in mind. And as parents, it is our job to protect our children. And whether it's easier to give them a, 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 a lunchable than it is to make a homemade healthy meal, or whether it's easier to send them off to public school than it is to sit at home with them and and teach your child the the proper way of our the proper histories that we have and not what's being pushed through you know the the organizations and and, and educational entities that are pushing books that are literally the same organizations that are owned by Ghislaine Maxwell's father was it Maxwell House. Remember Maxwell House, the education system, the, 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 the books that went to your schools? Maxwell House was owned by Ghislaine Maxwell's dad, a alleged Mossad spy. And so when you start to connect all of these dots and you realize that all of these, these corporations do not have your best interest in mind, and not just the corporations, but the government too, the public school system is designed for obedience, not education. Our food is designed to poison you, not make you healthy. And the reason they poison you is because they need to feed you the pharmaceutical drugs. And the reason they feed you those pharmaceutical drugs is because they make ungodly profits off of your sickness. And it all starts by educating you to believe that the government is daddy, not you. And the corporations are mommy, not you. And so as you start to unwind the fabric of our society, unwind the fabric of our government, and realize that none of these institutions have you or your child's best interest in mind, ever, ever, and the only thing they want to do is profit off of you. And sometimes that means poisoning you so that they can feed you the antidote. I don't know how we got there. Let's move on. But on that note, subscribe, leave a five-star review. I appreciate you. AustinAdams.substack.com. All right, we're going to move to the next topic here, which is that TikTok allows Mexican cartels to post help-wanted ads for human smugglers. So the cartel is literally posting on TikTok, asking for help smuggling people across borders, and TikTok is allowing it. They're posting advertisements to people, to hire them to smuggle people across the border. That's trafficking. And it's still happening right at this moment. Okay, again, this comes from the Post Millennial. It says, this week, I had the opportunity to ride along with the Kinney County Sheriff's Department. Kinney, Texas is a hotspot for human smuggling, facilitated by the cartels. High-speed chases, rollovers, and witnessing graphic deaths are a regular occurrence for deputies in Kinney County. While riding with Deputy Molinaire, a veteran deputy from Kinney County, he informed me how cartels are advertising smuggling jobs to Americans. He showed me one example of an ad on TikTok, and within minutes of for looking myself, I found more than a dozen ads that were blatantly advertising smuggling jobs for the cartel. As I was engaging with these ads, I realized one had an information label from TikTok that read, participating in this activity could result in you or others getting hurt. And this ad said, 
some shit in Spanish that I can't read. But if you can read Spanish, I'll try my best. Ocupto conductores que radiquen en Texas solo gente interesada y seria buena paga 10 mil or a 20 mil dollar in three hours. Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, San Marcos, San Antonio, Texas, Austin, Texas, Waco, Texas. Message us or some shit like that. I don't speak Spanish, but maybe you do. So there you go. And I'm probably sure you couldn't have understood what I said anyways, even if you did. As you'll see, the video with the label is a very obvious example of human smuggling and even shows the process of smuggling migrants past Border Patrol. Chats between the smuggler and the organization and the reward that comes after. And here's the video. It's a video of uh, like three Mexican dudes looking around, saying some stuff, showing some people literally in the back of a car, messages, taking them over the border in a vehicle. Oh my gosh. And then some money on the table. Whoa. And that's literally on TikTok right now. Now, now, this doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me at all that TikTok would allow the cartel to advertise human trafficking on their platform because the fentanyl that's being produced, that's going to the cartel, that's coming up through the United States of America, as Trump has spoken on before, is coming from China. Right now, we know for sure that the CIA has sold cocaine and crack into the ghettos of the United States at certain points for profitability that they can fund their deep underground black ops projects that we're not allowed to know about so that they don't have to worry about it being funded by U.S. tax dollars and it coming back to them. So we know that for sure. There's been plenty of documentaries that have happened on that. The Cocaine Cowboys documentary, all about the CIA funding cocaine endeavors, you know, even, even, and that kind of goes back to the Tillman stuff that we're going to talk about later. He got mad. The NFL player that we're going to talk about in a little bit got mad because he found out that we were, we were sitting in protecting opium fields in Afghanistan. And that was our, their job there. So we'll talk about that in just a minute, but it goes on in this conversation. And in the text messages that I was talking about, it says the translation is let me know when do y'all arrive? And it says 40, says the smuggler. Is there traffic? A little bit, no more than 23 minutes. The individual account amongst the countless others are allowed to post recruitment videos with the intent of to employ American citizens to engage in human smuggling on behalf of cartels. Instead of removing these illegal advertisements, TikTok allows cartel recruiters to stay on the platform and organize human smuggling operations. TikTok is well known for being the platform with some of their strictest censorship, but despite that, they seem to be more concerned about Americans voicing their political opinions than organized cartel recruiting Americans to commit multiple felonies via human smuggling. Yeah. Oh, by the way, talking about censorship, my account got completely banned on TikTok. And you guys hear the stuff I'm talking about here. It's not that wild. It's not that crazy. I'm not inciting violence. Like we're sitting here talking shit, drinking beer. Not that crazy, right? So I get banned off of TikTok, but not the cartel employing human traffickers through advertising. It says, we're seeing all walks of life. We've had those that are hurting for money. They're in a bind financially and are looking to make an easy buck. We've picked up a couple of attorneys that have been smuggling. Recently, we caught two girls from active duty. And at this point in time, I think they were National Guard or active duty smuggling. What? 
National Guard smuggling. So we've seen it all. I ran a check on one kid. He was out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, checked to see where he lived, did a little background looking, and of course, he's living at home. His folks are living on six hundred, like a $600,000 house, so I don't think he has... He was here for the money. I think he was here for the thrill. And then there are those who want to make a name for themselves or try to join a gang or do whatever to get part of the clique to make easy money. It's not worth it. And here it is. Well, I never thought of myself as being outspoken about this. I'm just saying what a what, what I'm seeing here, trying to protect a my county, my city, my state, and the country in general. But somebody has to say it. There's a guy in the back of the rear of the car, the cargo area. He opens the back of this truck and sees people in the back area of this vehicle. We've always seen more human smuggling than drugs, always, because of the way we sit. Yes, we are a border county. We've got 16 miles of border with Mexico. But because of international trade, because of ports of entry, Del Rio and Eagle Pass have ports of entry, we don't. On one hand, on one side of the coin, it's still Mayberry. I, everybody, I can still walk the streets at night. The women actually can go out and walk the streets, get their exercise, whatever, without being harassed, without having to be worried about being kidnapped or shot or run over. On the other side of the coin, the traffic that comes through here because of the way we sit makes it a volatile place. We have prosecuted close to 6,000 people for criminal trespass and 1,500, 1,800 for human smuggling. So we are at the epicenter of this. 99.9% .9 are American citizens. And we're seeing all walks of life. Pretty wild. It shows five other examples of people showing their advertisements on TikTok to smuggle people. Wow. Hmm. And it goes on and on and on. You can, again, read more about this on the Post Millennial, which is an exclusive article that they found themselves talking about the human trafficking that's going on there. Pretty crazy stuff. All right. The next thing that we're going to talk about. So I posted something on Instagram and Twitter a little bit ago. There was a girl that was posting called Erica Marsh. And Erica Marsh posted something after the affirmative action ruling by the Supreme Court. But there was something fishy about her account that some people picked on and some picked up on and some people didn't. But after just about a week or so, her account has now been suspended, and it is believed that she was a fake bot the entire time. And this article says, an infamous left-wing Twitter influencer who has been routinely accused of rage-baiting conservatives has been suspended from Twitter. Erica Marsh amassed over 130,000 followers after joining the site in September of 2022, and regularly sparked outrage for her views on race, abortion, and for celebrating the death of January 6th protester Ashley Babbitt. The self-proclaimed proud Democrat and former field organizer to elect President Biden had her Twitter suspended on Sunday after numerous reports surfaced online saying that she doesn't even exist. It says, in the days leading up to the suspension, Mark provoke, or Marsh provoked outrage with a tweet reacting to the Supreme Court affirmative action ruling, tweeting, Today's Supreme Court decision is a direct attack on black people. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system, which is exactly why affirmative action-based programs were needed. Today's decision is a travesty. Probably one of the most racist things that you could ever say is that somebody could, like, if you could think of one of the worst insults that you could tell me is with, like, intelligently, it's that I could not succeed in a merit-based system. 
<laughs> and then to say, you cannot succeed in the merit-based system specifically off of the color of your skin. So that sparked a pretty big outrage. I mean, she had 27 million views on this one tweet. And she was called racist by a bunch of people. A lot of big influencers reached out to her and said it. And then, you know, after a little bit, so here's a conservative political commentator, Dinesh D'Souza. He was the one who headed the 2000 Mules movie, said it was among many prominent voices con condemning her, saying, isn't this racism pure and simple? F Vernon Jones, who's a former congressman, said the most racist, degrading, offensive, and downright insulting comment ever made about black people. And pretty close. Not too far off. It says, in the wake of Marsh's suspension, experts who spoke to the Washington Post ruled Erica Marsh isn't even a real person with no record of her existing and her profile photo likely being an AI-generated image. One expert, John Scott Ralton, a senior researcher at the University of Toronto, said, I strongly suspect that this person doesn't exist. Additionally, there is no trace of Marsh in any phone and voting records. And the Biden campaign, which she claimed to have worked for, has no record of her working for them. Her Twitter bio also referenced that she previously volunteered at the Obama Foundation. However, the foundation has also said that there is no record of her on their volunteer database. It says, according to Twitter's misleading and deceptive identities policies, accounts that are using a deceptive identity may be suspended for violating terms of service. However, the policy also states that users may have their accounts reinstated at the discretion of Twitter staff if they provide government-issued identification to prove that they are real. The latter option to provide ID to regain access to the suspended account may prove impossible for Marsh, given that many analysts are saying she doesn't even exist. Whew. How crazy. <laughs> But how do you say that, you know, I, I I hope that's a parody account because gosh, what a terrible, stupid thing to say. But what a, well, you know, if she's just trying to gain attention, I, I can't imagine building a Twitter following of 130,000 people and then having it stripped from you and having it not even have your name on it. Like you might as well just put your face on it and own that shit because is more value in building your own reputation, whether it's as a crazy racist or, or, you know something more useful, <laughs> but to create the account with no reasoning at all, unless you're a, you know, Russian bot just trying to stir shit up, which may be the case too. Who knows? Will we ever? Probably not. All right, let's move on from that. And we are going to move into the the situation that's coming out of Pat Tillman's death. So this came up recently on Conspiracy Reddit. And it talks about the murder of a real hero. Okay, now I remember this. I remember the story, and I'm sure you do too. A former NFL player decided to quit the NFL and go serve as a U.S. Army Ranger after 9-11. And the story ended in tragedy because at a certain point in his time over there, he was shot with three NATO 5.56 rounds in his skull that was eventually declared friendly fire. Now, they didn't say why. There wasn't too much of an investigation, but we're going to jump into it. All right, so Pat Tillman's death and cover-up. And this comes from 
NPR. Says the latest book from John Crocker, author of Into the Air and Into the Wild, focuses on the life of tragic death of former NFL player Pat Tillman, who left a lucrative contract with the Arizona Cardinals to join the U.S. Army Rangers. Crocker talks to NPR's Melissa Block about his investigation into Tillman's death by Friendly Fire and the U.S. Army's subsequent effort to cover up the circumstances of that death. It says at least a half of the members of the platoon traveling through Afghanistan in April 22nd of 2004 had never been in the firefight before. But on this day, the enemy attacked. In response, the American soldiers sprayed thousands of rounds from their machine guns, M4s, and grenade launchers. Not far away was Tillman, accompanied by another American soldier and an Afghan militia fighter who had been firing his weapon in the opposite canyon wall, where he suspected enemy fighters would be. When, from a distance, the leader of one of the U.S. platoons, Humvees, saw the Afghan militia fighter, he reacted. He testified that the Afghan guy had on an American uniform, but in the panic of the moment, he reflexively put the guy in the sights of his M4 and put seven rounds into his chest. The shots by the leader of the Humvee were followed by a spray of bullets from the rest of his men. It was an attack that ended in Tillman's death. Said what happened next was an effort from the government to suppress the circumstances of Tillman's death. With hours, certainly, and probably less the Ranger regime, officers, high-ranking officers back in the States were conspiring to cover this up, Crocker says. A recommendation to award Tillman the Silver Star Medal, one of the U.S. military's highest honors, immediately began moving through the Army ranks, something that is not done for deaths by friendly fire. And Crocker says, when a soldier is killed in combat, you should put his uniform, his weapon, everything, anything that can be considered forensic evidence should be sent back to the States with the body so the medical examiner could determine the cause of death. In the case of Tillman, none of that happened. Tillman's uniform and body armor were burned. And his weapon, helmet, and even part of his brain, which fell to the ground after the attack, disappeared. Army officials told the medical examiners that Tillman had been killed by the Taliban, and they stuck by the story when they reported the death to his family. The Army intentionally lied, Crocker says. They just broke regulation after regulation. One soldier, Russell Bear, was sent back to the United States with instructions not to reveal to the Tillman family that their son had been killed by friendly fire. After attending the funeral, Crocker said he was so upset at having to lie to Pat's mother that Russell Bear went AWOL. Through the death of Pat Tillman and the subsequent congressional inquiry into it had been covered up closely by the news media, Crocker says there are many details that have yet to be exposed. The author uncovers several new aspects of the story by combing through the more than 4,000 pages of documents related to the government's investigation of Tillman's death in conversations with his fellow soldiers. Crocker points out that the Gen- General Stanley McChrystal, now the U.S. commander in Afghanistan, signed off in the Silver Star recommendation, even though he knew that Tillman's death was, was the result of friendly fire. In confirmation hearings earlier this year, McChrystal acknowledged that the Army had failed the Tillman's family and had apologized for his part in it, but he maintained that he didn't see any activities by anyone to deceive and that he absolutely believed that Tillman's earned the Silver Star. Now, here is where it gets interesting. But this book is called Excerpt from Where the Men Win Glory, The Odyssey of Pat Tillman. All right, so that's the book that you can go read on this. However, this came up in Conspiracy Reddit, and here's what they had to say about it there. Hi, I'm Pat Tillman. I was an NFL star turned Army Ranger after the events of 9-11. I went to Afghanistan and Iraq to fight for my country. Soon after my deployment, I realized we were guiding opi- or we were guarding opium fields with Big Pharma. 
and the CIA. So I decided that I was going back home and led the anti-war effort. Three days after my decision, I was found dead with three NATO 556 rounds into my skull, declared friendly fire. They burned his body and his equipment. They burned his journal too, this says. But the NFL is sure to include him in all of their pro-war, praise the troops, special thanks for, for before big games. Other comments go on and say, and then they mock him and the general public by making a spectacle out of him in his service, knowing that the basic NFL watcher would never look into his death. That is wild. So this man left an NFL career to go into the military to serve after 9-11, became a special forces operator in the Green Berets, or the Army Rangers, sorry, in the Army Rangers, then sees that they're guarding opium fields for the CIA. Go back to our conversation earlier, talking about how they peddle drugs for black operations. Then decides he wants to go home and lead an effort that's anti-war. Three days after that decision, he's killed. Okay, now I can't give validity to a couple of those statements without doing further due diligence. One, which is they were guarding opium fields. I need to see more evidence on that. I know that to be true. I've seen discussions on that before that are that, that have talked about that. However, whether that's the reasoning and, you know, what he said, I, I need to see where the evidence is coming from for that. Second is that he went home to lead a war effort. However, you know, this is gaining pretty significant traction through conspiracy Reddit. So it says that this guy talks about being there when it happened. Here's a video. But they know we're the guys that you don't shoot because we shoot back, right? Like, we'll take the fight to you. My name is Brad Jacobson. I was an Army Ranger for four years from 2001 to 2005. I was a mortarman in the 2nd Ranger Battalion. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Washington State. I was raised LDS, so I was a Mormon kid. So I had it with an IED and not a small one. I mean, we're talking 100 feet in the air. Was It was a supply truck, toilet paper, you know. So this is an hour video. The name of it is Army Ranger Veteran brings up or brings us inside Pat Tillman's death and cover-up. So we'll go to the points where most people are watching it. The people that had combat experience, like Command Sergeant Major, oh, I forget his name, but he was the Command Sergeant Major of Ranger Regiment, was in my Humvee when that first started. He had hopped out, I mean, he, this is an old Delta Force guy, you know, used to have a huge beard, you know, big burly dude, and he's just like calmly walking down the road just looking, he's not shooting anything because he doesn't see anything, you know? And so like, that's, that's who you want to be, right? But who we were was like very anxious, trapped. Like, you know, you think about it, like you're trapped because this guy keeps stopping, you got small arms fire coming down. So you can almost think like you're, you're a ticking time bomb of anxiety, you know? The, like the, the driver that ran, did you guys let him go or did you go after him? Yeah, eventually, like eventually we ran him down and drug him back, threw him in his truck. Mm -hmm. Eventually gets to a spot in the canyon where it kind of opens up a little bit wider. And so all the vehicles start going past him. And by this time, I mean, several minutes have gone by. The, the sun had set behind the mountains. And so there was, this, there was this weird like contrast where the sky was super bright, but the canyon was super dark. Like as we were coming out, it was very dim. It was very hard to see. It was too light to use night vision, but it was too dark to really like identify 
people, you know, well. And so the first, the first, the first Humvees, like, well, let's back up. The, the first serial that had gone through the canyon before us had heard us getting ambushed and they had parked their vehicles, gotten out and set up blocking positions, right, as we were coming out of the canyon. And so the canyon, basically, it's super narrow, but eventually it starts to kind of like, you know, drop down in elevation and kind of flatten out a little bit. And they were kind of set up on one of the spurs as the canyon was flattening out. They were set up on one of the spurs. And the first vehicle in the convoy, I don't know if they were just like freaking out or what, but they were literally shooting anything and everything that, that they could identify as a possible living target. And, and so, so anyways, they're, they're just lighting everybody up. And I'm in my Humvee, I'm about three back from the front and I'm driving and I'm freaking out too. I don't know where serial one is. I didn't even know they, they stopped, right? Nobody knew they stopped because we didn't have comms with them. And so we're coming out of the canyon and I hear my Sergeant, Sergeant Horney, rest in peace. Sergeant Horney is like, hey, those are, those are friendlies up there. Those are friendlies. Hey, those are friendly. They're shooting at friendlies. Like I could hear him like kind of exasperating, yelling. And so eventually we all get up to where Serial One's vehicles were, which was an obvious stop point. Cause you're like, well, there's our guy's trucks. So we pull off to the side, I stop. I have a radio and I hear somebody calling like, you know, we have Tango down or we have an Eagle down. Tango, Eagle Down Tango, and then an Eagle Down is like, you know, KIA on the battlefield, and I'm thinking, Tango, like, who the fuck is Tango, like, from Alpha Company, right? Um, and my first, in, my first inclination was, I forget the guy's name, is like Trufo or something, and I was like, man, Trufo fucking died, like, no, dude, that's a good dude. And they were like, we need a Skedco, we need a Skedco, which is like a plastic sled that you can, you know, wrap bodies in. So I immediately run up and I cut the Skedco off the back of my truck because I'm like, everybody's like shell-shocked around me. They're just kind of like standing there like with their weapons and nobody really knows what's going on. So I run up, cut the Skedco, because I don't know, for some reason, like I'm just a person of action. Like if, like I have to be doing, that's why, that's why I had that inclination, you know, with Jay Blessing where it was like, I just, well, like I have to, like I want to go like just start executing people to figure out who killed our guy. You know, and so I'm like, when I hear somebody like, hey, do this, I'm like, boom, cut the Skedco. So I run it up the hill, drop it off. I'm pulling security and they wrapped the bodies of the dead people into the, into the Skedcos and we carried them down. And it was at that point, I think when I was at the top of that hill and I had passed the Skedco off, I was like, well, who is it? And they said, it's Pat. I'm like, Pat. Oh, it's Pat, like Tillman, like and I didn't know what had happened at that point, you know, because I was driving and stuff. But I eventually we packed them up and we brought them down, loaded their bodies onto helicopters that came in and, and, and took them out. And it was just like this. I just remember because Pat's brother, Kevin, was in our serial, the second one that got ambushed, but he was at the very back. And so when, by the time they'd gotten out of the canyon and stopped, you know, we had already packaged up his brother and... Man, he was like, he, he was distraught, obviously, you know, and he was like, well, who is it? Like, who is it? Who is it? And eventually, like, they ended up telling him. And I remember, I'll never forget it to this, to this day, like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm pulling security, and I just hear this blood-curdling scream. And it's like, it's the most haunting sound you'll ever hear. It's probably the same sound of a, you know, if a mother, like, watches her kid get ran over by a car. I mean, you can imagine just, like, the hair-pulling screaming. And it haunts me, like, to this day, just to just to reflect on that, you know, like what that must have been like for him because they weren't just brothers. They were like, they were like the same person, you know, like they were almost like twins. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
anyways, like that night, I mean, just the next day or two was just awful. You know, I mean, obviously. It doesn't sound like he's going to get into too many details because he wasn't actually at the point of the shooting. So not much to bring validity to this, but a pretty crazy nonetheless. I'd like to see somebody come in with the information that actually shows that he was about to leave based on the opium fields. But it goes, somebody responded to this and said, it goes way deeper than this. He did join after 9-11 to fight the war on terror, giving up tens of millions of dollars in a Hall of Fame NFL career. And he was tasked with guarding an opium field owned by Purdue Pharma, which is for Oxycontin. He never publicly voiced his thoughts about the war. He wrote in his diary and talked to a couple of soldiers about it. They told his commanding officer and his diary was confiscated and read. Shortly after that, he was killed from within 25 meters in a non-combat zone by an American soldier using an M16 rifle. It was conveniently set to three-round bursts, so he only pulled the trigger once accidentally and sent three rounds into his abdomen. The incident was then attempted to be covered up. These are all the facts. A lot of this stuff posts leaves out and gets wrong, as these pictures are short, caption posts tend to do so. He was such a great man. My mom knew him in college. He was the nicest man she knew at Syracuse. Everyone loved him, and he loved his country. It is disgusting what they did to him. And then it edits for some clarification. It says, the poppy field did not have Purdue Pharma employees directly working there, but they did buy a majority of their crop from this field. I remember him being shot in the abdomen, but the article linked above said it was in the head. Also said that it was an M249, but I remember it being an M16 very clearly. Article also says from 10 meters away, which is basically point blank, they burned his uniform and belongings as a part of the cover-up. As for the Syracuse thing, he didn't play there, but my mom was friends with his girlfriend. Yeah, da, 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 da. Hmm. Interesting. So, an interesting theory nonetheless. Moving on. So the next thing that we'll get into here is a video that circulated of a woman screaming on an airplane. Maybe screaming is an, an exaggeration, but yelling nonetheless that she's was sitting sit next to somebody who wasn't human. This woman gets up. You can either believe it or they this woman gets up in this plane. And probably the craziest video that you'll see this week, if there's any validity to this at all, this woman gets up in the middle of this airplane, decides she's going to leave the airplane. Like I said earlier, doesn't seem like she's on drugs, doesn't seem like she's drunk, says, if you guys want to stay here, that's perfectly fine, but I'm getting away from that reptilian species back there. <laughs> so let's watch this and then we'll discuss it. Or they cannot believe it. I don't give two but I am telling you right now, back there is not real. So it's just going on to say it. She's the incident happened as the flight was preparing for de, to depart Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. So was this woman next to a reptilian? Was she next to a AI robot or was she just drunk? It says I did 16 years as a police officer and I can say this was the sounding is what sounding an alarm looks like. You are not going to be cool, calm, and collected. This is the response of somebody who can't immediately process what they just experienced. Hmm. Interesting. So what this goes on to say, and this comes again from Reddit, 
So take it with a grain of salt. But we all know that the elites want to phase humans out and replace us with AI and robots, it says. It could be possible that they're in the process of test driving these AI humanoids right under our noses in certain industries, such as the airline and catering hidden in plain sight. What if the woman experienced an uncanny valley moment where she saw through the humanoid and freaked out over him not being real? I think the advancements they show us in the AI robots are decades old and they actually have been behind closed doors in a far more advanced way. There are theories that military technologies is 50 years ahead of what they actually present to us in public and they are essentially drip feeding us technology so as not to scare and intimidate people. Interesting. The very first comment on this says, I wish we could get a pic or a video of the person that's not real. Yeah. So do we, buddy. It says, I just want the person, I, I just want to see the person she said wasn't real. The next thing says, she was on a flight with Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> oh, man. That's a good one. All right. The, and then somebody comments, and this is pretty wild. It says, when I was seven years old, I lived on a military base in the Philippines and had a weird thing happen. This would have been about 1987. I was at a friend's house. The parents weren't home. It was just me, my friend, and my friend's older sister. We were in her bathroom, singing in the hairbrushes and others 80s girls activities when I had to go to the bathroom. When I was little, I had really paranoid about people's showers. I was afraid somebody was in there watching me. So I would always check. I pulled the curtain back and there was a woman crouched down really still. She didn't say anything or move. I ran back into the bedroom and said, there's a woman in the shower. The older sister says, that's a robot. Don't worry about it. And my friend starts crying hysterically. The sister says, yeah, she's afraid of it. I'm so embarrassed because there's dirty pictures on the clothes. Hmm? I didn't notice this last part. And even as a child, I remember thinking, if you are so embarrassed, why bring it up if I didn't say anything first? They both leave the room. And I'm guessing that they are calling their parents. The sister comes back into the room and says that they are on their way back and they are going to take the robot to their grandparents' place. Keep in mind, we are on a base. No grandparents are anywhere near unless they have been living with the family. And I'm not even sure that's allowed. They basically tell me that I have to stay in the bedroom until this happens. I'm alone for what seems like hours and I still haven't managed to pee. I don't remember ever playing over there after that. I don't really know what to make of this. I think that the least likely explanation is that I was an that it was an actual robot. I've tried to piece it together as an adult. I thought maybe sex trafficking or something like that. Maybe the older sister was messing with both of us, but the younger one seemed to know what she was talking about. And those were real tears. The supposed pornographic material mentioned made me question if, I, if it was a real doll. The person did look Filipino. So maybe the dad was having an affair and told the kids that it was a robot to throw them off. But I don't know why you would have told you have your booty call over when you aren't there. I don't know. The whole incident was strange, but it's hard to gauge these things happen as a kid because you are trying to re-remember it and decipher it from a childhood brain to an adult brain. The other thing that happened on this base, I started sleepwalking suddenly. Maybe it was a reaction to the radar equipment nearby, but ale allegedly I was going outside during this, which is terrifying. Somebody said. Interesting. Hmm. All right, so was this a robot on an airplane? Was this lady drunk or was she taking too much Xanax? Who knows? But 
Maybe one day we will see robots on the airplanes next to us and we will recall this day and remember the very first time that we heard about it. All right, guys, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening from the bottom of my heart. Go ahead and subscribe. Leave a five-star review. I appreciate it. AustinAdams.substack.com. Go ahead and sign up. And then have a great day. That's all I got for you. Thank you very much.